Hey, Dame. What's good? You know, I was curious. We've been home for a minute now recording remotely. And, you know, I just feel like I've had so much more time on my hands. I've been listening to more music, watching more shows, engaging with more podcasts. And I was curious, have you listened to any podcasts recently? Nope. Still no. I I make this and I watch things. And I love all you podcast listeners because you make this work possible. (laughs) But all you other podcasters, don't ask me. I have not heard your podcast. I'm really sorry. It is no hard feelings. I don't listen to my own. (laughs) If you were... If I were to though, a podcast. I know where I would go. Where would you go? I'm going to check out Overcast. Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Yeah, I love independence. I love free things. This sounds like where I'm going to have to go uh, step into this game of podcast listening. Podcast for the people. Get it for free on the App Store. Put you in a mansion somewhere in Wisconsin. So we're ergo on location in in the in the wild winds of Wisconsin, um, with uh with two <laughs> with two very special guests. Uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves? What's up, y'all? My name is Trina Trina T. True. You introduced yourself like you were about to plug a mixtape, though. That was a <laughs> that was great. I'm Myra, just Myra. <laughs> a flex. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have the one and only. Oh, it's your boy. What's up? <laughs> so we were just starting to dig in and unpack. We've been spending the last like couple days just hanging out deep here, the four of us in this Wisconsin abode. Um, and the only other time that the four of us ever hung out was... Uh, a, a very unique moment. Does anyone want to briefly give the context of what happened in that moment? So last fall, Trina and I invited Damon and Daniel to visit um, an e- exhibit on an investigation we worked on about the police killing of Haritha Augustus. And um, it was a part of the Chicago Architecture Biennial, and we didn't want to have it in a fancy art gallery, so we had it in our office. And you could come and have tea with us and watch these intensely traumatic forensic investigation videos, um, that of which Trina was the narrator because she was there canvassing. Yeah. For no, not canvassing. BYP One Hundred Street Team was there. Mm-mm. I got word. And then I, I pulled up. And then she pulled up af- in the aftermath of this of this killing. And so anyway, it's a it's like a hour long experience of of watching very intense um, analysis and then discussing. At the same time, Jamie Calvin, our coworker, had invited people from all over the city. The Silver Fox of Investigative <laughs> Daniel's quote, not mine. Um, Eddie Johnson, then superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, arrives with like three of his detail. And so we then have Damon Williams and Daniel Kisslinger and Eddie Johnson experiencing the investigation of Haritha Augustus's murder at the same time. So then what happened? <laughs> so I think it's really important to note that when Eddie Johnson came in, thank you. When Eddie Johnson came in, he actually did not 
go through any of the videos. He was there to explicitly talk to Jamie. I don't know what they talked about. They talked in the corner for a while. And I I didn't check in. I didn't. I, but Robin Kelly was there. Um, Robin, thank you. Robin Robinson that was there. Been a different moment. Right. <laughs> we would have been much better equipped. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Robin Robinson was there. A black man who was his driver, who we later discovered is the father of someone we're in community with, Jasmine Barber, JBMB, and a woman who was armed. Like she's a police officer. And I remember the, this this kind of moment where she wasn't really in the room and she was like in the Bill Coffee. And then there was some intentional moment where folks were like, actually, like there are young people here. You are armed. Like if you could no longer be in this occupied space. So this woman was, you know, we didn't really have a moment to get her name. And like even I don't even remember what her face looked like. Um and you know then then uh robin robinson and the the police officer who is the driver decide after us push kind of pulling a couple of teeth a little bit that they are willing to watch one of the videos mm-hmm. they by the time they finish the the first one which it was about the aftermath the like demonstration or the the like bum rush that the CPD did upon folks who were like literally just in the parking lot shopping as well as like expressing their grief and demanding that the police leave. Um, um, he had, they had only, they, they had finished that video right as Damon and Daniel finished the actual entire thing. And somehow we ended up in a circle together. All six of us. All six of us. Isn't that how it? And we debriefed together. Oh yes. Do you re- do you guys remember the moment that like you finished watching? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like I obviously knew some of y'all's work, and I knew you each in various ways. But like seeing the care that went into both what was in the videos and then how it was laid out, and the kind of care that like we received as people encountering that was like I was like, oh, this is this is a different level of work than like what I mostly would see. And like, I was blown away um, and like felt the impact of the story and the way it was framed in ways that like, it was just really unique and different and remarkable. So I'm just saying that to basically say like the work was beautiful. Um, and you know, be it, you kind of end up in that meta thing of like, we're watching, I'm like watching them watch this i feel myself watching me watch them watch this i can see it it feels like one of those rooms like you never thought you would be in because it would be like if this was in a movie it's like well this is way too clean and neat of a of a turn um and i i like i remember us kind of looking at each other damon being like are we about to sit in this conversation here like So yeah, you know, talk about the exhibit more. So first, you know, the the what's the title of the piece? Six uh six durations of a split second, the killing of Horace Augustus. Six durations of a split second. Yeah. So, you know, 
I'm experienced. So I'm experienced. I'm, I'm having multiple experiences. One that was most powerful is recognizing or taking in, like I am experiencing um, the most detailed account of state violence against a black person ever. Like in real time, right? Like the, the forensic science, the account, the different, the way that the thing is curated, right? Like just the, the technology um, and the reporting like was overwhelming of obviously the, the frustration and the, the sadness of life, loss of life. Um, but a, a weird, almost like perverse, like not, not excitement or pride. Um, cause obviously that's not accurate, but, um, yeah, some feeling of accomplishment of how important this model is, um, not only for this case, not only about this police department, but like the world needs to see the one, the logic of this model, like, right. Like how it's done on a technical level, but also the claims that are being pulled out, which are going way beyond any, you know, large scale reporting on that, you know, of that nature that I'd ever seen. So that was deep. Um, there was a second level. The thing that most actually emotionally impacted me, the way, the way it's organized, is that it starts, like you said, with with the, the action, the the response. Um, so I'm seeing, you know, people we know getting beat up, and that actually was like the the jolting, triggering thing. I didn't know that there that footage was there. I actually was like holding down, hosting the space where people were coming from for reprieve that night. So I was like getting real time account while holding down breather room for BYP. Um, and like, you know, hearing those, to- seeing that there was this very well captured footage of the abuse of protest um, was really significant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. Yeah. So that was very deep. That was hard. Um, but then, you know, so they weren't. So, you know, we had some hot toddies and we're chilling. And like five minutes before we're about to do it, we get y'all get the Eddie Johnson news. So it was like, do y'all want to leave? Like, you know, I was like, no, I absolutely want to be. He's about to watch this. Um, so I was eager to actually see that engagement or or to to be in this type of, you know, if I'm here and if he's going to be here. Right. Like to be the one to be able to challenge or engage. So I was, I was super excited or not excited, but super willing and <laughs> present. And so we could just get started and we're probably like two or three in. And I remember, you know, Dan kind of spoke to it. one of the surreal things was like, really when they were getting like sitting down was the one about Eddie Johnson's response. So like watching him on the news, third TV slide with him behind us, and what he's saying in front of us. <laughs> yeah. It's like he he is also, you know, lying about the death of this person that we're watching. And then he's behind that was like a a really surreal dynamic. And so and then also then then we watch this, all right, and uh, we're getting ready to do this. Me and Robert Robinson are pretty like close. And we've had this like it's it's cool to be, but it was like almost this moment. So she made this joke. Because we haven't spoke or weren't, you know, in relation when she took this job as like press secretary for the police department, um, and so she like made this like, oh man, Damon, don't fuck with me now because I'm with the popo thing, like being like cordial and and silly, but like I'm like, nah, it ain't even, it ain't even all that, like you know, what's up? Um, 
And so, yeah, then it was intense to then find out we're with Jamin's, Jasmine's father. So this notion of also, right, this institution and policing is also something that our community is intertwined with that people don't, I think, understand for abolitionists, particularly black abolitionists. You know, like they see it as as this binary instead of this more complex mm-hmm. um, dynamic that we're aware of and working through. A, a la my aunt, you know, like... Um, and so yeah, that was that was really deep. We can maybe maybe if you why more do you have a sense of why they were there? Oh. Like um, what did he and Jamie like? Yeah. I mean for what for what you can share. Well, I think Is that oh, something? Yeah, it is snow. What? First snow. We day. leave and it's winter. It's mad as hell. It's October 25th. But we're farther north. Um, you know I'm not 100% on it Um, what I do know for sure is um, we had that year published an investigation into Eddie Johnson's um, history of misconduct meaning when he was in the 6th district the investigations he signed off on without any due diligence um, and including the murder of Rakia Boyd Thank you. Um, including, I was trying to think of Quintonio Legrier and Betty Jones. Um, and and basically, like, he had not responded to that investigation coming out in The Intercept and the Southside Weekly. Um, but it was kind of always floated on the table as, yes, he does. He does want to talk about it. He does want to talk about it. So one day he's going to come. And so to have like I don't I don't actually think that he ever thought he was going to come in and watch those videos. I don't think it was a genuine interest in the Haritha Augustus thing. It was like a this Jamie Calvin man wants to talk to me and my employees or the people working around me are saying don't talk to Jamie, don't talk to Jamie. Like that's a bad idea. And so in some ways he's like no, 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 I want to do this thing. So it's more of a stubborn like personal thing. Um they did get some follow up on the the settling for misconduct story. Or not, sorry, not settling for misconduct, but um, I don't even remember what the name of the Eddie Johnson investigation is. Regardless, it's about his use of force. (laughs) (laughs) A briefing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it didn't turn into a story, um, but it was more like, you know, Jamie, similar to you, is like, okay, if you really want want to have this conversation, let's do it. Like... um, yeah, and that's kind of that's what it felt like. Was like, that's kind of what it felt like. It was like, I can't believe you want to talk because you're so clearly wrong. Like, that's that, like, we, we did end up having this, like, sit down, like we said, the six of us. And it was this conversation, you know, it, and it's not that it's like the most useful thing, but it is somewhat cathartic of like, one, you can see the concession, it helps you understand their thought process. Uh, but it is, it's like, it's like, no, no, you actually don't have a response for our points at all. Like the things you say are reactive, but they're not responsive at all to what we have to say. Um, which is why like so often that conversation, like it's why those conversations are so often useless and end up being, you know, like we're talking about over the last couple of days, like the ice cube thing, like 
usually you get played in those situations because your presence legitimizes them more than any response could that they give could legitimize you. Um, but because this was like private and not planned and like they couldn't put out a press release in that, uh, it felt, it felt worth it. Um, so we can get, you know, we don't have to go too deep, but like we had this incredible talk, um, that was very surreal. And then we could fast forward, but whatever y'all want to add. Well, I was, I, so the purpose of mentioning the story about this in particular, cause like the talk was really like, I was like, wow, you are really in our face. Like kind of, I, I, it was a lot, but I think the point of me bringing up this story was the fact that recently it's come out that Eddie Johnson had been like perpetually, like co constantly sexually assaulting a woman who was a Chicago police department, you know, a police officer. And we have speculations that that woman is the same woman who came into the, into the spot that day. It, go ahead. Just, is the, the, um, the assault allegations, the same woman he was like found in the car drunk with? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah. for, over time, one, when I read it, it was like he had dismissed his driver, one, who was who was Jasmine Barber's father, and picked up this woman who he had on several, on numerous occasions in the office, like been not only like forced, like assaulted her in at the office, like in his office, but also like made sure that she was close to him so that they would do work trips and like he would wear something cute, wear something cute. Like, you know, um, attempted to touch her, but while her son was in the same room as them, like, like, oh, like he's not watching. And she on multiple occasions told him no. And there was one time he got wind of the of the fact that she was like interested in becoming a sergeant and taking the sergeant's test and then he used that like small interest that she had in order to then begin to coerce her like oh yeah you should study you should study and she's like I don't really know if I should do this because I don't really have time and then he was like attempting to like really encourage her to like really study for the test and take the test as an act of another way of leveraging his ability to coerce her and what ended up happening that night was, you know, he picked her up from the office. He they went to series. Um, he got, you know, they had some drinks. It's it, I don't know how much about that part is clear. They came back to the police station. He dropped her off to her car. He on his way home fell asleep on the like pulled over and the police came and they did not. Like, not only they said, like, you know, knocked on the window there, are you good? And then there, there's like, he's like, he basically says along the lines of like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Right. They recognize who he is. And then they proceed to follow him in the car home where while he's driving, he's clearly inebriated. Like, you know, and they the, none of the officers there did any form of like testing to see if he was sober or not. All of that on top of the fact that, like it, it, be, it, it somehow it is said that like it becomes clear to Lori Lightfoot that 
what he is doing with this uh, to this woman and what she asked of him to do is to like leave her from his um like release her from his like being so close to him and like put her on a different floor or something like that or in a different place and instead he like is upset with Lori and he's like she's trying to kill my magic is that the way he said oh that she's trying to steal my magic. she's trying to steal my magic essentially referring to this woman as his magic right and so it's just really important in this moment as you know as we're talking about this thing he where said i should say that bitch like he also like called her like you know whatever who did he call a bitch Lori lightfoot yeah no he definitely called her yes he did um but all of that to say is that like yeah, y'all don't even like each other yeah oh sorry no, I I mean that that all that to say is like you know we're, so now we're dealing with like a first he began as a police officer becomes a sergeant is literally signing off on like the deaths of like these people you know what I mean like these community members the like he is like and like not even attempting to like do a deeper investigation i.e. on the day that Rakia Boyd. Um, was murdered there's a tactical response report once a police officer shoots or uses force there's like a use of force matrix they are then supposed to like fill out a form at the bottom of the form there's a box that says further investigation needed in order to come to some kind of conclusion or he could just simply sign off on it and what he did was he signed off on it so we we come from there all the way to this man becomes this black man right becomes a superintendent of the Chicago Police Department and is simultaneously like sexually harassing this this black woman um for a long t- huh and the evidence oh and destroyed actively destroyed evidence of their of his coercion by destroying or stealing her SIM card from her and, phone and she was pressed with charges or officer like she was accused of destroying evidence in this investigation. So she was about to face like really harsh legal consequences for um, meddling with the evidence. And so that is like what forced her to to out, out him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was because it was like coming down on her. He tried to like basically put it on her or so it was being put on her and she. And then she had to say, no, he actually destroyed my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to zoom out for one second. The two of you know so many specifics about things. <laughs> like just all that information that you just knew uh, is like, like I think like, so we have this like bizarro world duo thing going on right now. The two of you and the two of us. Exactly. <laughs> and I think of us as like people who know things, but there are so many more specific things that y'all know. Like when you think about the contribution that you hope you're making with these like like this like hyper informed knowledge like i don't know i just feel like we're bullshitting so much of the time and you're so clearly not so what's that about is really my question like <laughs> so what was that all about like is it basically is it worth it to not be bullshitting all the time okay so to give your give you guys a little more credit like my my thing that I have always been thinking about since the day the four of us first shared those toddies and watched Eddie Johnson watch us and ourselves watching him um, is is this moment between Damon and um, Mr. Barber, the officer, um, where he where Damon was like, 
no, like they were say, trying to say, like, look, we're all sitting in a circle. We are all equals. Like, I'm also held up to the law. Like, police, they were trying to tell us that police officers get fired all the time, like, which is just not true. And and Damon was like, you could take your gun out right now and shoot me, and probably nothing would happen to you. And like, you were also just talking about getting. You also said you could arrest me right now. And so it doesn't some to some extent like the hyper specifics yes they matter if you're trying to figure out how to navigate the system and like um and understand the institutional harms like in a very deep level but like at the end of the day it's as simple as that like that's not bullshit it's not just like the larger picture is like the most important one i mean it's not zooming out to answer your question but like to that moment what was so cathartic or enlightening about that conversation? Um, two things. First, recognizing in real time, because this is an officer that's, he's talking about, I had 30 years on the force. 30, that's his whole thing. Like he's a CPT cop through and through. He done worked his way up to being the superintendent's right hand man. And then Robin Robinson, who is directing the, the communications of the police department, right? So in many ways, at this point, we are communicating to the power structure or like pretty close to the central knowledge base of the third largest police department in the United States of America. And it was glaring that they had no language or analysis of power on a collective level or him on a personal level. Um, and so he kept talking about all, like all this both ways stuff about like we get disrespected all the time or things are dangerous or difficult. Um, and like to be able to outline in that point of like, yo, if I started tweaking right now, if you started tweaking right now, when should happen? If I started tweaking right now, here are all the things that you are empowered and authorized to do. Um, and then secondly, it became this really interesting thing that I, to this day, like that, that conversation really changed the way I talk to people about institutional oppression and police. Um, because I, I, I needed it to not be soundbite and like press conference speak. And that's the only time I really hear them. Um, but to see them in real time and cause there was this like subtle communal thing, right? Like not only do I like, you know, my parents are of their generation, right? So they each know my mother and my father. Um, so they're like speaking to me, like I'm, you know, kind of this communal policing thing. Like they're the coaches and like, I'm one of the kids from the neighborhood. So I'm giving them that as a tactic to be able to like have a humanized conversation about these complexities instead of just being in, in, in opposition. Um, but the thing that was really crazy was being able to do this bounce back between these notions of harm that we've developed in community on a social interpersonal level around like these notion of abuse and use those languages and constructs for collective harm and for structural harm and institutions. And like, you know, the, we use the language of police abuse and like, you know, the misconduct use of force, very technical sense, but we don't think of it in terms of the dynamics of abusive relationship. So some of the things that they, that they kept doing is that we're trying to name this harm of the police department and they keep gaslighting or redirecting to saying, no, there are all these other societal failures or institutions, right? It's the businesses went away or it's the schools or, you know, it's, it's because there's not yeah, enough, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. And y'all are on the side of that. Um, and more than anything, you know, that has been the driving force of why, you know, 
there is lack of access to the labor market and you know and so all of this using language of like racial justice to not be accountable for harm right so there was never we have to do these terrible things because shit is so fucked up it is like an abuser not responding to it and changing the framework and saying but look at that let's burn let's spark this light of gas of fire over here look at that burning there's divestment there's and like like they kept talking about divest oh and then they kept talking about the media and how the media frames things when one the media and the FOP they kept using scapegoats so one you guys are framers of the media right like the media prints your information or publishes your information secondly Robin Robinson worked in the media for 30 years. So her like blaming the other institution that she should be accountable for uh, <laughs> uh, is really great. But they were trying to talk like they were on the side of being against racism without ever trying to acknowledge that um, policing is a, a driving force of racism. And then he was doing it himself about... I'm a good man, right? <laughs> um, that was one thing he kept like latching onto is, but I'm I'm a good person, you know. I've I've been doing this job for this however long, um, and whenever we would talk about power that he has over people or using harm, he would talk about these other things or how people. And I had to point it out to him of like, yo, so you realize I've brought up these three things, and every answer you've had has been about something else. And he realized that he did like he start he stopped at the conversation. I was like, "Have you heard of gas?" So he had like this RJ one on one conversation of like, so in abusive relationships, there's these dynamics. I know you're a responder to domestic, right? Boom, boom, boom. Um, this is what you're doing right now, and this is what y'all do as an institution to every instance of harm. We just watched a fucking thirty minute video about you saying some. You, I see Gail on on CBS with these reports that you doctored to talk about a man that died. We're in a room about a, a, a dead person. Y'all haven't even talked about this thing that we're talking about yet. Um, every t- This was one of his catchphrases that he kept saying was, at every point I make, which is the point of cognitive dissonance, he can never admit that we were right, but he kept saying, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I can't disagree with that. I don't disagree. Wow, the way you say that is really... Which is another like, <laughs> you know what that is. yeah, it means you do agree. Um, and so like since then, I, that has actually really helped my framing of using languages of abuse and gaslighting and accountability. And we have to center the harm and restoration that we are starting to learn how to articulate for person to person. But now this institutional force um, and particularly the way that media communicates these secondary abuses um, has really helped in that conversation. I would love to know how that day, because I do think it impacted all of us, how that day and that conversation impacted the way you've had other conversations about this work. For me, his thing he kept coming back to about being a good guy, I think about that all the time. And to be just calling out up front in conversations about police is like, we're not talking about if you're a good person or not. Like, I don't care. Like, we're no longer talking about that ever, if you're a good person or not. That is what influenced me. How did it inform other conversations? Um, I think the one of the one of the really interesting things about 
like him being in the space was like you said earlier, like you mentioned, Damon, about how like we are we are like in relationship with like in community with like someone who he raised, which is like such an like it's just such an interesting thing. Because I mean, I think about like my parents and my father, like and about how also a lot of times when people are thinking about like police they're always doing this thing about like, well, we need more black cops too. Like that's a, that's a really, that's a a narrative that like gets too much time and action. And that's something that I've even heard other like activists say like on that day when Haritha Augustus was murdered and we were in the parking lot. I remember hearing an activist in particular who, who, um, said like we don't want no white cops over here we don't want no white cops like tell the white cops to leave when in that moment the officer take your friends with you also (laughs) and take your friends with you and because in that moment the cop who was like doing the absolute most was a chocolatey handsome black male officer And I say that because, and I think it's important to note because sometimes we do this thing when we see like charisma and like, you know, oh, like, and we feel like that means they are exempt from doing this thing or participating and perpetrating this type of abuses. And that maybe, you know, maybe they're a part of a system, but you know, they are one of, they are the change. They're going to be the change. And so that takes me back to even like, you know, Mr. Barber in the, you know, in the circumstance where I'm like, you know, like I see what you're trying to do and I hear you and I like, you know, you, 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 you are in many ways like my elder and like someone who, you know, outside of coronavirus, like if, if I didn't know you were a police officer and we was in the same space and Jasper was like, oh yeah, that's my dad. I'd be like, hey dad, like, you know, um, and and that does not make you exempt from being accountable to how you are like adding to and, and and like enabling and perpetuating this harm by way of your very existence and like your connection to this superintendent Eddie Johnson. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, why do oh. black cops really love the Jason Derulo haircut? The like like very like thin with the little mohawk, little faux. That's just an observation I've made. That's all. <laughs> Steve. I mean, I think it's very, it's because it's it's, it's like very related to uh, sports jock culture. Yeah, yeah. So like they're really fuck boys. Like, you know, I, I, I wear the uniform, we hang out in the locker room and we go get bitches on the weekend. Like that's like the cop thing. Like cops are, 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 are known for like in the club, in the, in the barbershop, trying to be hot and sexy. It's a weird little, I don't know, little underbelly that they got going on. They think they the shit. Um... Yeah. The other thing that was interesting that I've seen a lot that they were really doing is acknowledging that policing is not successful, (laughs) but they're not agreeing with us that we should do something else. (laughs) Right. So like, you know, this, this, this acknowledgement that it's not stopping or slowing down or helping violence that, you know, it it, it is a losing game, that war on drug type of approaches are really bad. The other thing that was really wild to me is that they kept scapegoating the FOP which obviously the FOP is a horrible racist institution and I imagine and I could 
sense that there is this internal struggle for black police officers and that's becoming more amplified and that's like a, a new story black people love um but it, it again felt like a, a a way to evade accountability and to be saying yeah the institution the organization that represents all our officers is bad but the things that all our officers are doing in the institution that they are represented to be to have a union for in the first place has no say or accountability and we're fighting all the rules are because of what the fop do and all the bad things is because of you know this little cartel they have set up while also not saying this publicly at all right like not doing any work about it not you know it's a black mayor it's a black police chief it's a black cps is you know black 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 everywhere it's not saying the, there's no man above you to like oh we have to whisper or 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 you know kowtow about except for maybe they're your your under support people who put you there yeah um yeah i have a quick note on um so interestingly when i when the cpdp first came out and we uh did some of that like i think like i don't know it was like 2015 analysis or the Citizens Police Data Project is a database that houses the disciplinary history of officers from 1988 to around 2018. Hopefully by the time this is public information, we will have up to 2020 on there. I'm working on something to <laughs> expedite that process. Um and what you essentially see in the Citizens Police Data Project is the number, the like reported like allegations of misconduct, meaning in the sea of negative encounters that someone has with the police, there are a few people who may have the time, capacity or resources to take that first step and go to COPA or the Chicago Police Department or whomever was in charge of investigating police at the time and say, hey, this thing happened to me and I'd like to report it. Now, once you get to that part, it's sometimes up in the air if, especially if you go to a Chicago police department, if they're actually going to take your complaint, because we've seen that it has happened where they refuse to in those moments. Um, but if you get to the part where your words are actually on paper, um, that means that there is like data that shows your negative encounter um translated by the person who into in like who were who in took your your complaint um on and and it could potentially be on this database especially if it was between 1988 and 2018 so on top of the allegations you also see whether or not it was disciplined or whether or not it was sustained meaning acknowledged by the investigatory board as actually happening and being wrong um, and also you get to see if there's any discipline that happens out of that sustained complaint. Now, in some of the initial findings, what was seen was that black officers are actually more harshly, like more likely to catch that sustained complaint. Right. Like if you if the officer who was attached to that complaint is black, you're more likely to to catch that sustain or it's like your punishment, you're like the type of punishment that happens goes up, right? But that still doesn't negate the fact that like black officers are also like in an attempt to like assimilate into, you know, this 
culture of like Blue Lives Matter and like the my boys in blue, that they are like in many ways actively like harming, like um, hurting or like using force on people more often than some of their counterparts. And there's also data to prove that point as well. I wish I had the like the data sentence, but I don't in this moment. But it's a thing that okay. that but but she it's a thing, right? But it, but it's a thing. And then like when you put when you think about that, y'all, like when I'm thinking about capitalism and how like there's like this like really fucked up institution, and then like people are like trying to do whatever they need to do and like shit on and exploit whomever they feel needs to be exploited in order for them to get a one up. And then even then, you see that like. Like you even like if you if you are not a white man, like it don't it's in some ways like it really don't matter how often what what you have to do, what you end up doing, like you're still going to be black and like disproportionately like punished for being black. And then you still are standing on, well, I'm trying to be with the boys in blue. And so it's just really complicated. And I feel like it's just so mentally it like exhausting and like it's also not worth it like it's not worth it not only are you going to be like hurting and like harming and kidnapping people from their families from their homes and like literally taking resources that could have otherwise been used for other things that that are rooted in care but you also are never going to be one of them and so now you're in this in-between place where you feel like you finally got some power and you can exert that. But like, but really, you know, you don't because the FOP and also the investigators and the whole complaint process that like allows y'all to be living with all of this impunity is still not even set up to let you like get, you know, to 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 like hold you in the ways that it holds like a white a white person. And so it's just so when you think of it like at the end of the day, like fuck black cops, like that's not some that's not a solution. And I think like you cannot be the change. Period. And also and also like it's important to note like they are treated fucked up within this same system and they're still willing to like pour and invest into these these like systems, even though it's also hurting them. As you're saying this, I'm thinking about this notion of, um, I think it's Fanon that says this, but uh, a fast, like an aspect of any colonial project is the colonist, uh, or the, the, the colonizers, sorry. The colonizers like hiring n- local native people to enact all the colonial rule. And so like in, in Pakistan and any country that was a once part of the British empire, like how officers, the way that you assimilate and gain status in the country is like, assimilate to and carry out like military rule so yeah the brits the brits were strong on that they were like we're going to use fewer guns and more bureaucracy like for our mechanisms like the bureau the the like and it's actually a good lesson for what some of what we're talking about and the role of the cops is like the violence of bureaucracy as a way to obfuscate i'm gonna put a little obfuscate bell thank you Ooh, an analog sound effect um the and, and like the bureaucracy and that middle middle manning and and placing in the middle too and it's you know you see the protests too like who do they put at the front of the line to to take the most abuse and the you know yeah like you said like the it's not cops. yeah yeah like it's not gonna again it's a bad deal for everyone it's a really bad deal there yeah and and I think that's what's um 
exciting about this. Man, exciting. I think that's the opportunity. I'm not excited. Uh, <laughs> that's the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> that's the opportunity in this moment, though, is we're, we're being a little bit more specific about policing um, because when we just say racism at large, right, like we then it's just, oh, we don't want racist policing, which in most people's flat understanding means that we don't want white-led, white supremacist vigilante policing, which is such a, a margin of the harm, you know, definitely like an extreme. Um, but, you know, looking outside of interracial context what's happening in nigeria right now is so important about the fallacy of black cops it is policing itself is a violence everywhere war itself go ahead go ahead <laughs> you know po po policing itself comes from warfare and this warfare is destructive on people and it's always going to be the most vulnerable people uh, and that will exist within a singular group context as well and like we need to really see this triangle more effectively of war, prison, and enslavement are an inseparable thing. Like you can't have slavery without war and imprisoning people. And you can't imprison people without enslaving and being in war. And every time you do war, there are going to be prisoners and slaves. Uh, and it's part of why they do war. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a big part of the war business. Um, and so, yeah, like... I think definitely seeing what's going on in Nigeria right now helps us understand the Chicago push because like what happened in Hyde Park, it was a majority black force that fucked us up. And it was an even more majority black force that was antagonizing and like the berating me after when I'm in the police station, right? Of like these black cops trying to teach me a lesson or talk down to me or, you know, just just saying dumb shit really. But um this this like class and internal class warfare this like condemnation of black people without realizing that that's what they're doing um saying these very right-wing things with this like communal bow around it um uh is really significant yeah 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 yep also i realized i'm tweaking i'm supposed to be on a zoom right now <laughs> story of your life <laughs> i mean we also we also can rap um on the zoom <laughs> you're you're a, i didn't know you were a zoom multitasker you were talking about during the uprising stuff being like i'm you almost were in a confrontation with the police while also on a zoom call <laughs> was i was walking up the street <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i got zoomed to this thing it was like on a zoom walk be like all right guys i i actually sign off. i can't <laughs> i can't really get shout out to r3 though <laughs> all right. speaking of signing off uh let's sign off but this has been such a joy hanging out with the two of y'all over these couple days and i know we all really as we've said in our 48 hours of nonstop talking, like really needed this time away. So thanks for making it happen and being down to do this. And uh, yeah, y'all are, y'all are fun. Thanks. It was also very fun and beautiful for me. Very cathartic. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We're going home. <laughs> oh. Please don't live in fear.